Hello, Managing Majors listeners. This is your host, Kian Sobani. About to be joined by Ewan McTeer, friend of the show, Spanish football journalist, um, author, supreme Atletico Madrid fan, but also doing a lot of work for Managing Madrid on site at the Bernabeu this season. Spoke to him about the mood at the Bernabeu, the ambiance to end the season, some transfer stuff, both Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid related. Some housekeeping before we start. Tomorrow, which was, which is Friday, over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid, our new series officially launches. We are looking at old Real Madrid games, historical matches, watching them again uh, from an analytical point of view, and then talking about it. So the first edition of that podcast it launches tomorrow. It's going to be about Real Madrid versus Lazio in the Champions League group stages in the year 2000. I actually have tweeted out the link and also posted it on my Facebook um, so you can actually go directly, uh, click on that, and watch the game beforehand if you if you wish to. There is no real historical significance about this game other than the fact that it is pure nostalgia for me. And the reason I think it sticks out is because it was one of the greatest performances I've seen from Luis Figo. Um, completely dominated the right flank that day. And also, it was against a Lazio team that really was at the peak of its powers. Um just a loaded team. Everyone from Alessandro Nesta to Veron to Hernan Crespo, Pavel Nedved, and so many other great legends before that team eventually got kind of dismantled and picked apart and, and everyone went their separate ways from that team. Uh, but it really was just an unbelievable team and uh, and a really fun game to, to watch growing up. So we're going to talk about that. Matt Wilty and I are going to record a part of the podcast on that game. And then Eduardo Alvarez and I are going to talk about his Iker Casillas tribute article, which he wrote on managingmajor.com a few days ago. Um, and yeah, before we get started, we need to give a shout out to our patrons. And reminder, if you do want access to those bonus shows, including tomorrow's segment, including a bunch of other bonus shows and other rewards like guaranteed responses to your questions, you got to go to patreon.com slash managingmajor, pledge whatever you can, uh, and and just join this awesome journey with us. And shout out to these $10 plus patrons because if you pledge $10 or more, your reward is you actually get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to these $10 plus patrons. Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick DeStefane, Adam Dorsey, Frederick Rantakiro, Leon Stavronakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Essa Hariri, Nicole Gant, Sergio Monleon, Elian Zacco, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sad Omar, Oluwapa Mimo Oladunjoy, Patrick Odaya Fadi, Christian Toff, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, Marin Myrtle, Tyler Dixon, Ragab Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujai Wanyi, Peña Maridisa, San Francisco Bay Area, Brandon Stevens, Casper Moscala, Catherine Fagundo, Vinod Baratula, Zoran Bosnicic, Swaya Ayala, Crystal Glass, Rafael Servia, Yehin Liang, Karen Scherer, Ahmed Almayahi, Umar Mahadi, Amy L, Shabazz Sharapov, Fabian Moreno, Varun, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Solomon Ortiz, and Brendan Powers. Love you all. Thank you so much for your support. And without further ado, the Managing Budget Podcast with myself, Kian Sabani, and Ewan McTeer. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. 
Ewan McTeer, a writer for a million different places, including Into the Calderon, Marca, Tifa Football, um, just constantly putting out content. Suffering Atletico Madrid fan this year, but we're all suffering. Um, also sold his soul to to work as press for managing Madrid this season. How are you doing, Ewan? Yeah, good. You make me sound like a sort of Spanish football journalism slut or something like that. But um, <laughs> just just going around everywhere, just and ready for everybody. Yeah, yeah, spinning tricks for everybody. Yeah. Um, excited for everything to be over. Um, yeah, no, the summer is always um, the summer is always quite quiet after the season, especially when there's no World Cup. I know there's Cup America, but it'll be nice for the season to end. But it's been such an exciting season, especially in the Champions League and. And things like that, that, you know, you kind of just want it to continue. And um, it's a shame that everything's wound down the past few weeks. Um, a little bit of a shame that the La Liga season sort of just petered out. I thought we were going to get one of the most epic final days in a long time with so many things to play for. But everything almost got decided on the penultimate weekend, didn't it? Yeah. You mean, there was some potential miracles in play, but they really needed to be miracles. Yeah. Like for the whole Celta Girona situation was pretty much like you already knew what was going to happen. I, I, I basically spent like so much time telling my wife, like, look, like this summer, like this is, it's like summer vacation for me. I'm like a teacher. <laughs> there's no World Cup. There's no Euro. And then, like, literally two days ago, it just came across my feed. To rem- then it reminded me that it's the Euro U21. And then I was mm. writing another article, and I remembered that it was Copa America. And then I was like, you know, yeah. there's actually really no such thing as a completely there's no break under 20s world cup as well the women's world cup as well there's there's lots of um tournaments that aren't going to dominate all of the headlines all of the news feed but there's always going to be football on so see like uh, but there's like those ones like the the world cup women's world cup i mean depending on your job i can just throw my feet in the air and and just watch it without Mm -hmm, work it can be on the background while i'm playing with my son Mm -hmm. the the U the Euro U twenty one and also the Copa America. There's actually Real Madrid players involved in those. Mm-hmm. So you just like also oh, some high profile Real Madrid players not involved in those. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that today. Actually, both Marcelo and Vinicius, yeah, uh, are not in there. And, um, and so this must be a bittersweet season for you, by the way, because it's over. And Atletico, I mean, really, as far as heartache goes. There was a, there was there were a lot of heartbreaking things this season, and I watch basketball, so there's a, there was a lot in the NBA as well, depending on who you mm-hmm. support. But in football, you had the whole Ajax thing. You had if you're a Barca fan, what Liverpool did to you. If you were an Ajax fan, what Tottenham did to you. If you're a Real Madrid fan, what Ajax did to you. As far as like the the ranking goes in terms of heartbreak, if you're an Atletico fan, that was one of the most gutting things. Then you fast forward, and it's like. Thank God it's over. But also, you have this massive exodus at the Wanda that I was. I really like it. I'm trying to think back to like a bigger transition in of any team. Like I, I can't remember the last time a team just loses like seems like everything in one summer. Yeah, it's like the last five minutes of like a Quentin Tarantino movie where everybody just just dies and Everyone just leaves. Dies. Like there's one guy left. Yeah, it's. Um, it kind of makes sense in a way a little bit. Once Godin was going to go, you sort of knew, well, lots of other players are going to follow of that era, if not this summer, then next summer. Uh, because they were, you can see the way they've all reacted to their respective departures. They were such a tight group. So when some of them go, 
everybody's basically going to go. The Griezmann thing is just a separate thing. But yeah. when Godin leaves and Juan Fran's going to go, Philippe Luiz will probably go, then that whole group will all leave at the same time because they were all in it together. And even when Gabby and Torres left last summer, it was already a sort of changing of the guard. So, yeah, everybody's departed. And I don't know who's going to play for Atletico next season because I think they're only going to have four players in the squad. It's, uh, everybody's gone. We'll come back to Atletico. I promise. Mm-hmm. Um, you, when did you start attending games of the Bernabeu for managing Madrid? It was definitely post the it Champions League exit. Basically, once yeah. there was nothing to play for. Yeah. Um, and you decided there's no point coming over from Canada to see yeah. Real Madrid versus Huesca when it means absolutely nothing. Yeah. There was like a is, part of me that like when Zidane came back for that first game, there was like, you know what? Yeah, that kind of one. could be fun, yeah. but I don't think I'm going to blow my travel budget on that. And yeah. uh, we decided to use it for some uh, po- some podcast traveling in in the states. But what was because so, I I w- I was attending basically towards the tail end of the, everything that when it was a disaster that I was I was part of all three games from that week from hell if you remember mm-hmm. arguably the worst week in club history I was at all three of those games. Um, but that was when the fans were all switched in plugged in because. There was everything still to play for. There was, you know, Real Madrid was still alive in every tournament, maybe not La Liga, but certainly the other two, the Copa del Rey and the Champions League, everything was still alive. Um, and there was, as much as that week didn't go as planned, at the start of the week, there was a sense of optimism. You know, you could be in a Copa del Rey final, having knocked out Barcelona, you could be in the Champions League quarterfinals, suddenly everything looks okay. It didn't turn out that way, but there was there was a lot of hope at that time, and then it just, the bubble completely burst. Yes and no. Yes, there was absolutely everything to play for in those three games. But in terms of the mood, that mm. was when you, it really kind of started to hit you in terms of, okay, the first one against Barca was good despite the loss because they were actually played good that game and then all just kind of mm-hmm. fell apart like towards the end. And then the, the second game, which I believe was the league game mm-hmm. um, yeah. against Barca, and that one, it's like it really felt no one in the stadium had any faith that anything was going to happen. And Vinicius was on fire at that time in terms mm-hmm. of just being able to take players on. But that was also the stretch where he couldn't finish anything in front of him, any chances. Yeah. So there was like that whole period of every time Vinicius had the ball, there was like this collective like, oh, this this is just gonna not going to go in. So like they, it was like, and I think that cut through to him. Uh, and then the game against Ajax, while like the whole season was on the line, it really felt like a morgue. Like it really actually felt like that stadium was owned by Ajax fans that night. They were the only ones making noise, mm. and it was kind of embarrassing. So then, while there was everything to play for, you started to already sense the the kind of the the funeral like ambiance in in those games. Then when when you started going, really, it was just um, it was obviously after everything. And and people still like you know they were obviously not in a great mood. So what what was it like though, like being being at those games? Yeah, every time you went, you they mentioned the attendance numbers, and it would be oh like the worst of the season. No, this week's the worst of the season. Yeah. No, this week is the worst attendance of the season, and it just it really fizzled out. The mood was strange because the fans there weren't many of them, and the ones that were there weren't too happy. The, the thing is, apart from the most recent one, the Real Betis loss, Real Madrid won all of their home games. Some of them were quite tight. I mean, there was the Hesca one where they weren't good at all and had to win in the last minute. There were some really narrow 
victories in, in that stretch, but they won all of those games. So there was at least something to cheer about. And the fans were generally happy when the goals were going in. They were obviously whistling Gareth Bale every time he was anywhere near involved. But the mood really was bad at the last game when they lost to Real Betis. And it was at the end of the season, the players sort of wandered over towards the main group of fans on the south stand and everybody just whistled them. And all you could hear was whistling, whistling, whistling. And then I was typing at the keyboard and all of a sudden I heard um, some cheers and applause going up. And I thought, oh, I wonder if like uh, some of the fans are trying to cancel out and drown out the whistles. But that wasn't the case. What was happening was Navas had went all the way over and they were applauding Kaylor Navas because mm. he was having his farewell. But there was really not a good response for the team. The fans were obviously unhappy. And as much as that Betis defeat changed absolutely nothing, they just wanted to, I think, send a message. Hey, guys, remember, go away in the summer and make sure a season like this never happens again. Were you at the Celtic game? No, that not was, for that one. You weren't. Okay. Because I think that was, I think See, that was the first sense game. of, of you, you know, not euphoria, but just a bit of a triumphant return. It's, Zidane's back. Everything's going to be okay. It doesn't matter now for this season. But I think there was a... Uh, a sense of optimism and excitement when Zidane returned. I remember that whole week, everybody, you know, everything was all right again. And they played quite well against Celtic Vigo, only won 2 0, but could have won by a few more. That was one of the better performances since Zidane came back. Maybe the Athletic Club game that they won was probably the best one, but that was yeah. certainly up there as well. And there was a bit of excitement, but then that just didn't carry on because the players just had nothing to play for. And the number of times Zidane would mention this in post-match press conferences, he would talk about, well, it's hard to get motivated when there's nothing to play for. And it's like, well, it's kind of your job. It's, as professional footballers, you're supposed to go out and give absolutely everything. A lot of the teams they were playing against had not too much to play for either. They were teams in mid-table or teams, you know, fighting for a very uh, slim chance of a European place or things like that. They were fighting against teams that, you know, where even in the last game against Real Betis, they were playing against Real Betis, who were guaranteed to finish mid-table against a coach who already knew he was getting sacked that afternoon. And Real Betis went out like it was a cup final, like it like it meant something. So if they can do it, why can't the Real Madrid players? It was just a, a strange mood, but I think Zidane sort of knew these last few games didn't mean anything. And that vibe just sort of transmitted to the fans, players, to everybody. It was, he'd be in there in those press conferences and he would be trying to say that all the right things and, and sort of trying to make things seem okay. But he sort of just came across like a, like a husband in, in marriage counseling who's, who's there because he's been dragged along by, by his partner. And he knows what the end game is. He knows how this all finishes. He knows there's no hope. He knows it's over. But he has to go there and say the right things anyway. Yeah, and like you can you can tell yourself or, or like complain from your house and your TV set that like play for pride. It's really not that easy to just turn that switch on in a season like this. I think, and also the fact that he's he's not playing a lot of the younger guys since he took over from Solari, and with with a lot of these guys, you know, it's it's not. There's only so much pride that kicks in, I think, in a season like this when the players that are also on the field are not kind of the younger, hungry ones. Like it's, I think it's no surprise that the two most exciting players in this stretch of nothing games have been Vinicius and Brahim Diaz because they are actually there to really prove something. And this, you and like this kind of 
now we have this news that we're tying up all these contract extensions of, of the old core from Kroos, who I think is definitely deserving anyway, regardless of the season he had, because he's still younger, and I think he has a lot left in the tank. Um, but then Modric, and then Nacho reportedly, uh, Marcelo, all these guys. Casemiro, another one. I think Varane is really, was really important to tie up. That was good. I also just wonder... You know, I, I there's a part of me that worries a little bit that we may be too attached to what some of these players have done in the past. And I don't like the argument when people say, like, appreciate what these legends have done for you. Like, I get it. We all watched it. We lived some of the best years of our Maradisa lives watching this, this team play. Uh, no one disputes that. But also, like, history, I think, tells us that it's kind of better to move on one or two years early then cling on to some of these guys one or two years too long and be attached to it. Um, that worries me a little bit. I think it's a bit hypocritical of me also to think that way because when I, basically like everything I've written, everything I've said on the podcast um, with some nuance, like you, I think you have to give Zidane the absolute keys to build this vision of his. And so it's it's silly for us to sit here and kind of disagree with his choices because I think we have to believe in what he what he what he kind of chooses for the team. And I think it's possible to make mistakes and still come out of it as a winner because every team makes mistakes and chooses the wrong players. But ultimately, you you get past it and you win. Like you know, I thought Di Maria, even in hindsight, was silly to let him go. But then the team goes on in this massive winning spree without him. So you know, you you, you detach yourself from those things. Um, hoping that, and you and you trust trust the team to make it work. But there is a part of me, you in, and I'd be curious to know how you feel. Um, that you know, just the, and you might get it wrong. You and I think if if Real Madrid fans are expecting that this summer and this and next season will all be this beautiful, uh, this beautiful like I don't know, just painless, pain-free, just growing without growing pains, and all of a sudden you're winning the Champions League next year. I think it's going to be tough on them if they have those expectations. Yeah, I think this squad needs more of a revamp than keeping most of the players that have been involved in that four and five years or three in a row run. I think it's going to take more than just keeping them and adding one, two, three pieces. I think this needs a bit more of an overhaul than that. And yeah, it does. It is a bit worrying to see all these contracts being handed out to some of the the older players. The Modric one is is fair enough, I guess, because there was a clause in his contract that if he won the Ballon d'Or, then he gets automatically one more year. So that sort of you don't that doesn't really tell us if they want to keep Modric or if they wanted to renew his deal. Uh, I don't really think Real Madrid had a choice in that because of his previous deal. But he's thirty three. He's one of the older ones. I agree with you, Cruz. I have no issues with him renewing. He's only twenty nine. Uh, it makes sense. He's still got his peak years, I think, left in him. So that one makes a bit more sense. But yeah, if they start handing out new contracts to the likes of Marcelo or even to, to Benzema, as much as Benzema has been good, just let him stay on the contracts he's on. There's no need to to rush to add an extra one, two, three years onto that. Just let these guys, they're all on fantastic contracts. Do you remember a couple of years ago, there was a month where almost everybody got renewed and Florentino was standing like every day holding up like one of those shirts with like 2021, 2022, yeah. something like that. 
all these guys still have those contracts. They're all still going to run for a few more years. It's not like if you don't renew their deals this summer, then you're going to lose them because the contract runs out in January. No, they still have two or three years on them. There's no need to add a fourth year right now. Let's just keep those guys that you want to keep and build around that. So it is a bit worrying. We don't know how many more players are going to get new deals and, and what kind of players. But yeah, if they start giving it out to like Marcelo, a brand new deal, you almost suggest that you're rewarding uh, a poor season. The way That's the way it would look, I think, to many fans. So... Yeah, I think the squad needs a bit of an overhaul. Zidane obviously trusts a lot of these players who he took on this journey. And that's fair enough, that makes sense. But we have seen, you just said it, you've seen that this doesn't always work. I mean, remember the Spain teams that won three tournaments in a row and then Del Bosque remained a little bit too loyal with some players, Casillas, Xavi. These guys went to the 2014 World Cup when maybe they shouldn't have the 2016 Euros, when maybe they shouldn't have some of these players just stuck around a little bit too long mm. and I think you need to you know bring in new players you know uh, at the right time a little bit too early rather than too late yeah and that that's a good parallel I think also the Modric one Modric just seems like one of those guys and now there was a quote that he said a few years ago I'd have to look it up thinking the exact quote but when he was talking about Kovacic and he kind of implied that he'd be willing, you know, kind of to take a, a more of a mentorship role to him later in his career. So I feel like he's not going to be this guy that would demand starting game in, game out anyway and would be a good presence to have in the, around the locker room. I do feel like one of those things, one of the things that Zidane clearly has over us is that he sees the team up close. He sees the team's problems. And he's mentioned that one of the benefits of him coming back early was because he saw, he wanted to see the problems up close and, he went as far as to say like he was kind of surprised to see how bad it was. And to me, that implied he kind of knew knows where the poison is and is able to cut the poison off. Um, mm-hmm. Now, like, I don't know where if now that we're talking about poison, I would be surprised if the poison is like someone like Ceballos and Llorente because those the only thing we've heard about people leaving has been those younger players who don't seem to cause any trouble. Um, and so I wonder if you're rolling into the next season with kind of the same core, then you're really, really relying on bringing in some uh, fresh blood that you, you you better get, I think. Because if you have a budget to spend, and we all know that not everything goes your way in the transfer window, you're really relying on bringing in those players you need. Otherwise, it's kind of scary, actually, to kind of roll in with the same core. I mean, that happens regardless of who they get rid of anyway. So um, what do you think is is what like the first let's say the first signing we see who do you think it is like let, name me the first couple that you think are coming i think the first one's going to be hazard i think that'll be announced after chelsea's europa league final i think um he probably doesn't want it out there before then i mean we just saw uh peter check announce that he's leaving arsenal at the end of the season to go and have a director's role at chelsea and uh, people aren't pretty happy about that when there's a Europa League final between the two clubs in uh, just over a week or just under a week, actually. So that's completely fair enough. So I think once the Europa League final is, is finished, we'll get an announcement for Hazard. That one seems like it's really going to happen. And then after that, I think Luka Jovic seems like another one that's quite far along. And again, I think we'll we'll see that one happen. It just sort of seems to be a bit of negotiation over the price. I mean, uh, Frankfurt are kind of holding out for about 70 million euros. 
Uh, Real Madrid would rather pay about 60, but Frankfurt, uh, as much as they only just signed him from Benfica for 6 million euros, um, it's not all going to be profit for them because they have to pay a proportion of the fee to Benfica anyway. So if they did sell him for 70 million, they still have to pay, I think it's 21 million plus the 6 million they already paid, all of that to Benfica. So they really do want to maximise their profit on a player they're not going to get to keep. So I think that negotiation, you know, no, that negotiation will go on for a bit longer before they settle on something. But those two players seem like ones that are quite far along and that will come in. And I think they really can add something because we talk about Zidane's probably going to keep more or less the same core. Not much is going to change in defence other than Militao is going to be there as a, a better third choice option than Nacho has been. The goalkeeper position is set midfield. You're going to lose some of the younger guys maybe, but more or less the midfield is is sent maybe room for one more player but it's more about the attack I think that Real Madrid need players logically because they just lost one of the greatest attackers of all time last summer so if you bring in Hazard you bring in Jovic you're already adding a player who can play sort of out wide and bring creativity and then you're adding another finisher to take some of the burden off Benzema I think if you let's say like if if your worst case scenario which I think I think it's going to be there's going to be more than two players coming. But I think if your worst case mm-hmm. scenario is Hazard and Jovic, I think that's actually a pretty damn good squad going into next season because yeah, yeah. Hazard sure. fixes more than one position, like more than one need. And like mm-hmm. you can look at his numbers from last season, they're just well this season, they're just incredible. Like he leads the team in every facet possible offensively. And and Jovic obviously is the goal scorer that Real Madrid hasn't had. And so I think if you go in with those two next season, you're in a pretty good spot. Um, yeah, you've already solved a lot of the problems um, from this season. Like, remember the start of the season, Lopetegui's team, they often played quite well. The problem was they kept hitting the crossbar, they kept missing chances, they just couldn't finish. So if you bring in two players who can score goals, then you've already solved one of the problems. There are more problems than just that. But that's probably one of the main ones, and you've solved that. And then you have the rest of the transfer window, basically, to try and plug those smaller kind of holes. Well, the Militao signing, even like maybe like people f- sometimes content to forget about it because it happened not in the summertime. This could be this could be the problem because if they do sign Hazard just after Europe League final, if they do manage to get the Jovic thing over the line by say, uh, you know, the first week in June, second week in June, you know, Real Madrid fans are going to. Uh, be disappointed on deadline day at the end of August because it will seem like they haven't signed anybody. The The difference is they just signed everybody quickly, which I think in the transfer market nowadays is what you have to do. You see Real Madrid doing this, you see Barcelona doing the same thing. They signed De Jong months ago. Uh, all the other players that they're trying to get in, they're already uh, putting these deals together quite early on. Borussia Dortmund just signed a couple of players this week. It's still May. The transfer market isn't even open. Teams are trying to get their business done as soon as possible which is the right thing to do but for fans it might leave the sense that they're not really doing much not being proactive because fans are used to seeing almost desperation signings in the month of august well i i'm still you know that's a good point i think by all means please get it just done early as possible i couldn't care less i'd rather have that security and let um the at benzema Get the f out of my club. Sixty six Twitter handle. He can cry at the last <laughs> minute if he wants. But I think like the Militao, he will. He will. He will. The Militao signing actually covers a lot of ground that was needed in this mm-hmm. team, and that was 
Varane was out of form to start the season. Nacho hasn't been good since the World Cup, if we're being honest. And so even someone like Militao just like is a huge signing, in my opinion. Like that, that mm-hmm. solves a lot of problems. So like those three guys that come in, plus you have players on loan, plus you have Rodrigo Goes coming in. Like there's sometimes we talk about a revolution as if it's like 13 players. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I think like if you if you had the freedom to do what you wanted to with an infinite budget and anyone can just like, you know, you just press buttons and make transfers. Maybe you make more moves than that. Maybe you do. Do make like tra- 10 transfers? I don't know. But I think really if your signings are those three, I actually think that that's pretty good if that's your baseline um, and that's all that happens. Um, I think my feeling even with Jovic is that you think like the, there's clear there's negotiations going on. So it's not like the secret that like we, we don't have to like kind of wonder are they even talking, are they not? There's clearly negotiations going on. And I think if, if – Eintracht are going to ask for like 100 million. Rams are looking at 60. I feel like eventually they're going to meet somewhere in the middle um, and a deal will will happen. I think Frankfurt kind of are in this position. I mentioned this to uh, Matt on the Patreon podcast yesterday that I think mm. with Frankfurt, they're trying to squeeze as much as they can. Um, and I think they'll eventually come down because they're going to realize a couple things. One is that if they're going to ask $100 million, I don't think there are any teams in Europe who will pay that. So it's not like if Real Madrid say, okay, see you later, they're not going to go to the next guy and be like, hey, here's Jovic, $100 million. Uh, yeah. The other thing is, like, I think if they... It's not a guarantee that they, his value would necessarily rise to $100 million next season if they keep him for one more year. There's always the unthinkable and, God willing, it would never happen, but an injury to him. He might rupture his ligament. He may just not be as good next season. There's like all these things that they have to consider that I think they eventually will be like, okay, they're going to meet somewhere in the middle, I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what, what I've uh, seen is that they seem to be willing to go as low as, as 70 and Real Madrid seem to be willing to go as high as 60. So that seems close enough that, yeah, I think they'll find something over the line. Yeah. Obviously, I would just say, well, why don't you just agree at 65 million and do the deal? But that's why... Uh, I'm sitting here talking to you and not running a football team. So that's, <laughs> they're a bit smarter with their negotiations, these guys, but they'll find something. And I think this one will get worked out because, like you say, um, Frankfurt have some leverage, but maybe not as much as some people think. The guys had one really good season and that's all they have to, to go on at the moment, which is a lot, but not enough to, to demand exactly what whatever they want. So one of the... The things that I'm confused about with Atleti a little bit is that, and this ties in, I'm not just going to go all of a sudden just zero transition, but uh, there was this talk about Marcos Llorente going to Atleti a while back. Um, Mm. And then there was this argument that I saw like, well, if if Atletico lose Rodri, then Marcos Llorente is a perfect replacement for him. And I was like, okay, but, and then I was like thinking about it. Why are Atletico even, like, I can understand they have to phase out this older generation. Unfortunately for them, all their defenders seem to be in the same age range, like with Felipe Luis and Juan Fran and, and Godin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then kind of the younger ones to the transition, only Jimenez is left because they, they weren't able to keep Lucas Hernandez. But I, the Rodri one I was confused about, like, what is it that, is it just that clubs, they, they can't keep him because bigger clubs like City might want him? Or like, how can you even think about letting someone like that go? 
Well, they certainly don't want to let him go, but his release clause is, I think, 70 million euros, which mm. is is very appetising for some of the bigger clubs. And yeah. that's been Atletico's problem, I think, in, in recent years, is that a lot of the release clauses are are actually not as off-putting as they seem, partly because of the transfer market inflation. We've seen even Griezmann. Griezmann will be able to, to leave for a bigger club because his release clause is only 120 million. That's that's very affordable for for many clubs and and perhaps a little bit naive of Atletico because they also have to pay a proportion of that to Real Sociedad, his former club. So when he goes for 120 million, Atletico will only actually see 96 million of that, which in today's market won't won't get you very much. Um, of course, you can say, well, would Griezmann have signed these new contracts? Would Rodri have signed these contracts? If you put a release clause of 200, 300 million, maybe the players want that wiggle room to maybe leave one day. So it is a tough business. But with Rodri, 70 million is is very appealing to a club like Manchester City. Um, there are several other ones as well. The So Atletico don't really have a say because if the club comes and pays that clause, then he's off. The difference is, is does the player want to leave? Um, it seems like he really is a bit conflicted about this because I think he knows he would be at Atletico for a few years and then maybe go to a bigger club. But... If, if that train is, is passing him by now and it's about to leave the station, then maybe he has to get on it a season or two earlier than he would have liked. He grew up an Atletico fan, came from uh, academy before he spent some years at Villarreal. I think he would like to spend some time, give more time to the club. But if he has to leave now, then then he, he's going to have to do so. So it's a strange one anyway, because Rodri is such a, an amazing player. But he's not an Atletico Madrid kind of player. No. Um, Neither is Marcos, I don't think, for that matter. Although I think Alaves, him succeeding at Alaves maybe makes a case for it because Alaves were a very defensive team under Pellegrino. That's the thing because people, as you mentioned, say if Rodri goes, well, you bring in Marcos Llorente to replace him. Well, not necessarily because Rodri is a player who's been so good because he is so good that even though he's not stylistically an Atletico player, he's still become important. It's not like if Rodri leaves, Atletico have to replace that style of player because they don't, they haven't usually worked with that. So I don't know if if he were to leave, I think they would go back to their their sort of roots and go back to their their previous kind of central midfielder and get you know a hard hitting tackling midfielder and not necessarily Urenti. To be honest, I think if Urenti was going to go to Atletico, it would be to to complement Rodri, not to replace him. Either I think Atletico will have two players that can play that kind of position and just really go for it, really stylistically decide we're going to go for keeping the ball in midfield or they're going to have none of them and decide we're just going to go for players that can tackle, win the ball back and be aggressive and try and win that way. Um, entertain me on this this mm. uh, this idea, okay? As an Atletico fan. Let's do it. I'll entertain I, you. I mentioned this to Diego on the Monday Churros Tacticas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Atletico should try to sign Icardi. Okay. Uh, I think that a lot of teams don't want to touch that guy with a 10-foot pole, namely his mm-hmm. wife. And I think Inter, that relationship... Well, she would fit in. I mean, she has the same name as the stadium, so this was... This oh, my God. Off I, to didn't, good start. I actually... I mean, I, obviously, that's true, but I didn't even, didn't even cross my mind. Um, so I'm willing to entertain it just for that, but yeah, go on. <laughs> well, I, I and... It's it seems like because of that he will be attainable and mm-hmm. it seems like he can his style of play suits Atletico. You haven't really found that great striker who can consistently score for you since the first version of Diego, not the second one. 
mm-hmm. which was a while ago now. And uh, as you know better than anyone, Atletico have a long list of of legendary strikers that just show up and like become just either household names and and get sold or like they they you always consistently have some of the best strikers around since I was a kid like in the late nineties, and Icardi could potentially be one of those. He's young enough. He's a proven goal scorer. If there's anyone who can kind of maybe tame him into and buying in, it's Diego Simeone. You need goals. You need a striker. What do you think? Yeah, I like it. I think you're dead right. If there's any place he could fit in and get his head down and get on with it and become the player that he can be, I think it probably is Atletico. You have another Argentine in the coach. You have a lot of Argentines in that coaching team. And I think they could uh, control him, get him to focus, and also maybe um, cut out some of the stuff with with his wife, Wanda, all of that nonsense. I think Simeone could... He's one of the, the coaches that I think she might respect a bit more. The, the problem with him seems she doesn't respect any of the coaches. Um, but with someone like Simeone, you have to respect him, I think. And, and I think that could work there. The, the thing is, though, Atletico are going through such a rebuild that I don't know if centre-forward is... A priority is certainly something you'd like to strengthen, but if you go down the list, well, you need about five or six defenders, you need a few midfielders, you need a creative player to come in for Griezmann who can uh, link the midfield in the attack. Arcardi's not going to do that. Centre forward, I don't know if that's really the position you need to focus on because they do have Alvaro Morata who has been very good since he came. You think so? You think you'll you'll hold on to him? Well, his loan deal is for one more year, so. Um, it oh, could be complicated with well, yeah, oh, one it was like and a half, an eight, I guess. eighteen month, yeah, when he came in January. So he's he's there for one more year at least, and then Atletico have an option to buy him. So really, it's out of Chelsea's hand. Maybe they would negotiate something because of their transfer ban and things like that. If they could, I don't know, send some money or or make some sort of deal with Atletico so that Morata goes back now, uh, because they would be able to re-sign him, I think, this summer because he would be a, a loan returnee. Um, whereas they probably can't sign other players. But no, he would be there for next season. And I think Murata and Icardi up front together would be would be really cool. That could be a really effective partnership, playing two strikers the same way they used to do with David V and Diego Costa when they won the league. I think that could be a really exciting partnership. But I just don't know if centre-forward is going to be that high on the priority list when you do have Murata for at least one more year. Um, how do you even begin to replace Griezmann? You don't. That's what Simeone said, and I have to agree. You don't. Atletico has never been the kind of club to go and uh, replace one departed star with another star. And he said, we want to find another Griezmann, but in the sense of, let's find another 2014 version of Griezmann. And there's a guy from the same club as Griezmann, uh, Mikel Oyarzabal, one of the, the, the better players, I think, the better young players in La Liga. Uh, he's only 22. He's from Ibar, so he's obviously a great lad. And he's got a, a fairly, a fairly reasonable release clause. If, I can't remember exactly what it, what it is. But, That's an interesting um, one. I think it's about seventy-five or something like that. Um, so you could sign someone like him. It would use up most of the Griezmann money, but he's twenty-two. He's the same kind of positional player. Played wide at Real Sociedad. Has also played in the middle. You can bring him in, mold him to be your kind of player. And uh, yeah, about seventy-five million. I think actually his clause is about ten million more, uh, only for Athletic uh, Club, <laughs> just because they always sign bad right. players. Makes sense. So they have a a specific clause against them, which I love. And that's the kind of pettiness I 
absolutely adore in football. I think that would be a, a great pickup. But yeah, I think that would be the kind of player they need. Someone who can come in and someone young enough that they can mould into their own kind of player. People talk about Dybala as well. He's a bit more of a proven star. But again, he's young enough that maybe you can bring him in and, and mould him. I think I would rather see them do something like that than go out and get like a, a, a ready-made star to, to try and replace Griezmann. Because you're not going to replace Griezmann. I mean, Griezmann, in my opinion, is the third best player in the world. So the only way you would get somebody better than Griezmann or equal to Griezmann is if you sign Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Uh, the next best players, you've got Neymar and Mbappe, that's not going to happen. So whoever comes in to, to take Griezmann's position, they're not going to be as good as him. So you don't want a situation where you try and sign someone like um, Philip Coutinho at Barcelona to be, well, he's kind of a star, he can replace Neymar. No, nobody's going to replace these players that are just on a different level. So don't try to. Bring someone younger, try and mould them. And, and see if you can make him into into the new Griezmann in, in that sense. I actually love both of those, the Dybala and Oyarzabal suggestions. Yeah, any, any of those I think I'd be happy. If they take that approach of bring someone who you know is good, you have to sign someone who's good, but someone who's young and who you can, someone like Simeone can, can mould into a player. And I think both those players would be up for that project as well because um, they've seen what it's done for Griezmann's career and Griezmann has spoken so much about how Simeone basically helped him become the kind of player that can win a World Cup and stuff like that. After the final, Griezmann phoned Simeone basically to say, you know, thank you for, for making me the player I've, I've become. I mean, it's up. France won the World Cup because Griezmann was such a good attacker and also so willing to track back and put in the work. So in a way, Simeone helped France and Griezmann win that World Cup and he appreciated it. So I think... Uh, these kind of players, and I'm sure Griezmann would speak to Yarzabal, the Real Sociedad connection, and if he was to ask Griezmann, would you recommend going to Atletico, he'd definitely say that's that's a good move at that stage of a young player's career. I'm also, I'm not too worried about your defend, defensive line, as cr- crazy mm. as that sounds after this big exodus, because... Even though there's only like two defenders, as as we speak today, well, the reason... registered for next season, but... You know, <laughs> I think I'm going to like what you're going to say. Yeah. Well, the reason being is like I think if you hold on to All Black, you'll be fine mm. um, because All yeah. Black is like such a irreplaceable figure at this point. But also because we have a little bit of sample size, Ewan, to suggest mm. that this year Atletico rarely had any of their top defenders available, yeah. with so many defenders in and out of the lineup. Like Felipe Luis, like you really didn't have him this season. Godin missed time. Jimenez missed time. Missed time. Juan Fran missed time. Uh, Lucas Hernandez missed time. Like, how often did you actually have your defense like healthy? Yeah, I um, mean, and you they, still had. They really did. They yeah. really did. It's fifty to the defense. Yeah, yeah, just ridiculous. And so we eight ha- center backs they used over the course of the season. Eight different pe- players crazy. at center back. That's crazy. And you still had. I mean, I don't know. Is it the de facto? I know that it was one of the best defenses still around. Like. Yeah, um, I mean, it was still very good, but you also have to remember... Uh, this Atletico 29 goals was not as good That's nothing. As you recent years. Only 29 goals. No mm. one even comes close to that figure. Like, so it's, I, I still yeah. think like the way the nature of the way Atletico play, plus mm. all black, I think you'll be good defensively regardless. I'm not saying you'll be good as yeah. when you had Pete Godin and all those guys, but I'm less worried about your defense than I am about your ability to score goals. No, completely agree. I mean, Simeone is every defender he's brought into the club. He has been able to get them to perform well and uh, and do a job. Even earlier in the season, I remember one game where the, the defensive crisis was really bad, and you had 
two youth players um, coming on and playing, I think, at centre-back against Borussia Dortmund. This was a point when Borussia Dortmund was scoring like three or four goals a, a game um, when they'd yeah. scored four goals actually against Atletico in the first meeting. This was the second meeting in the Champions League group stage and they kept a clean sheet at 1-2-0. And, you know, you saw Simeone on the sideline giving so many instructions to these young guys and they perform well. They obviously been well coached. Simeone can coach defence, we know that. So, yeah, I totally agree. I think whoever they bring in, they'll bring in players that are already good defenders and Simeone will just make them that bit more solid. And then if you have All Black behind you, then you're going to be fine. So, yeah, it's more about finding the players that can come in and do something in a creative sense. Um, I've kept you long enough, I think, Ewan. Uh, do you do you have anything to plug before we before? I mean, you always have something to plug, but, like, what, what, what do you got for us? I don't know. Just a little bit of everything. You go on my Twitter, at Emitir, and you'll see all the latest stuff um, about the end of the La end of the La Liga season. Champions League final, uh, just everything exciting that's coming up. You said your Twitter was E. McTeer, but I just, when you said that, I realized I've never actually said it that way. When I uh, yeah. when I read your Twitter, for some reason, I read it as E.M.C. Tier. Yeah, know that, that works too. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, McTeer with the, the E at the start. Or you just type in Ewan McTeer and you'll find it, but that's even more complicated because... My my name has four letters and three of them are vowels, so it's quite confusing. <laughs> um, Ewan McTeer, we'll, we'll link your Twitter in the show notes so people don't have to worry about misspelling three vowels and, <laughs> and an N. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, thank you for everything you did for managing Madrid this season. And I'm I'm assuming and hoping putting you on the spot, but I think you'll do it again next season. Um, and uh, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Looking forward to next season and hopefully some more exciting games and hopefully Real Madrid stay in the title race all the way to, to next May. It's going to be fun. <laughs>